0: For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively you can find our new patreon page at patreon.com then search for resilience unraveled so let's get started enjoy the show hi and welcome back to resilience unraveled and um Dawn and I, my next guest, Dawn Kola, and I've just been talking about um with the weather and um, how she's suffering in the, in the grip of a Californian winter with a nice, steady, mild, high 50s. So um, not that I'm green with envy at all, but hi, Dawn, how are you?
1: Hey, Russell, how are you? Good. Yes, it's, it's not so horrible where I am right now. A little cold in the 50s for Southern California, but... Hardly comparable to the rest of the world right now.
0: Are the, are the lizards f- freezing and falling off the trees? That's happened to me yeah, in Florida. It. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a joy to meet you. And we've just had a very, very quick chat. But um, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do, Dawn.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I am a writer. Uh, I'm also the mother of three adult children and an executive coach, predominantly in the entertainment industry here in Los Angeles. I typically work with leaders, uh, people leaders, actually, who, like most of us, you know, they struggle to develop themselves and their teams in really high-paced environments. So, you know, whether I'm writing or coaching, I tend to think of myself as a person who helps others grow into a more expanded, into more expanded aspects of themselves during times of uncertainty or turbulence. Yeah, that's fascinating.
0: So we're, um, I mean, we pretty well do the same thing, but your, your yes, sounds much say. more glamorous than mine. That's all I'm saying. But um um, I mean, I mean let, let's let's start then, should we? Um, why, why media industry? What 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 makes it what makes it different or unique or um, other words are synonyms with those two first two I've just said.
1: <laughs> right. Um. Uh, well, I would say this path found me more than I found it. So I continually ask myself, you know, why entertainment? It's not something I sought out. Uh, It just happened to be where I landed. Uh, I think that one of the reasons that I've been successful in this industry is because I am dealing so much with the human dynamic during times of change and media and entertainment are going through, you know, cataclysmic change right now. Uh, and they have been really for the past 10, 15 years since the introduction of streaming. You know, net- Netflix and Amazon is, has really changed the face of media. And in that, uh, there's just been so much change that uh, it's kept me busy. Yeah, But is again, it- really kind of something more I, I I can say I found myself involved in versus sought out.
0: Yes. It's interesting, the media world, isn't it? Because it's... Uh it's a media which is extraordinarily full of its own self-importance, where the vast majority of us would be quite happy if it just vanished overnight, in some ways, in some ways, if you know what I mean. But it, it seems to have this self-perpetuating importance. Uh, do you think that sort of is a, a by, and that's only my own opinion, so the next question is really hi- highly loaded. I was just gonna say, do you think that's um, the byproduct of the leadership that's there or you get leaders who are like they are because of that sort of culture?
1: It's, what has been most surprising to me is just how normal if you will people are uh there is arrogance of course but I don't deal with the talent in front of the camera I deal with the people behind it yep. and they're like everybody else you know yes are they green lighting shows and helping develop uh, creative and characters and they're also dealing with aging parents and kids with learning disorders and all the other aspects of life. So as much as you know we can glorify it, uh, behind the scenes, it's it's similar to other industries. People are people and people have issues no matter what their job is. A little yeah, bit more glamorous and some of their parties, I think, are a little bit more glamorous, but yeah, but other than that, it really isn't.
0: Um, but it's fascinating you say that because that's always been my contention and certainly you know, often I'll get people to say, um, do you understand our sector? Because they've come from a peculiar sector. And I said, well, have you got any people in your organisation? They say, yes. And they said, well, I understand people. And that's the key thing, because people tend to have sort of commonalities, even in different cultures. I mean, you know, we start with the fact we're all mammals and work up from there. We are remarkably similar, even though we've got some spectacular differences as well. So I think people tend to, um, I don't know what your view is, they tend to over glamorise their sector in a way, don't they? I wonder why that is.
1: Well, I think that there is some genuine importance to media. Certainly, there's a lot of it that, uh, you know, I don't think that is productive, but there's a lot of it that is. I mean, if you think about it, it's showing reflections of ourselves. And media is very, entertainment is very conscientious about representing, at least now, different sectors of the population and different emotional issues that we go through and for some people in certain parts of the world, they didn't realize that somebody else was dealing with that issue until they see it on a show, um, you know, be it a drama or a sitcom. It's the first time they're they're really looking at it going, somebody else is struggling with this. Yeah. Uh, so I think from that perspective, just the sheer reflection of our humanity, I think that there's some very good aspects of it. And then, of course, for the same reason, there can be some really negative ones.
0: And of course, it has that ability to show the sort of tropes of generational issues, isn't it? It shows how our society has moved forward over the course of time, even from people in front of the camera. But do you see the equivalent change behind the screen? Do you see an evolution of leadership style or approach?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And especially in entertainment, because... What was tolerated ten years ago is not tolerated today, and we've seen some very big executives in entertainment toppled just in the past five years alone, the past ten, because again, behavior is not being accepted anymore that was just the norm but prior. Uh, all the major networks and studios have really tightened their belt around no longer tolerating ill behavior from leaders or powerful people that. Just have felt like you know that they're so needed that they're indispensable and can do anything. Mm-hmm. I don't see too many people that are indispensable anymore, yeah. uh, and so it's just not tolerated. And a lot of people have lost their jobs as a result of unethical behavior. So it's, I think it's changing, and I think it's changing for the positive.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't mean anything at all by this question, but what took you all so long?
1: <laughs> um i think that's a great question i i think that it's just and it's not so true of media but i think of all corporations what took corporate america so long mm. i do believe that in this era of communication and social media uh you know there's different set of eyes and the power has been dispersed really much more amongst viewers amongst people and we really do have the ability to congregate as a group and to share our opinions online and to bring things to the surface that just weren't we didn't have the vehicles we didn't have the communication vehicles to do that before um so i i think that you know it's The the means in which we have to communicate has created a moxie amongst people, so we no longer have to tolerate things that, there was just no no means in which to call out or cry out before as we have today.
0: Yes, it's interesting the democratization of um, the communication process has led to probably the human's greatest advances, but also the surfacing of some of the least desirable bits of human behavior and it's 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 that thing about any technology isn't it it's, it's if you're creating a, a situation of freedom you some, sometimes you can be careful what you've wished for because you can unleash the beast and i often think leaders are operating in an interesting culture now because everybody sort of knows everything uh mm-hmm. and everything's everyone's more sensitive than ever before so there's a um there's a there's a there's a disempowerment of the adult status almost. And I often think leaders, I mean, I'm a leader myself. I I work as a CEO as part of one of the things I do. And you have to be extraordinarily careful in building what we used to call an adult culture. And I think people have slightly run away from it because they forget that the adult culture is all about potential and it's all about possibility rather than sort of giving into sort of fads and um, whims and trends and fancies. That's my view, I just wonder what you think.
1: Well, I love the term adult culture because it requires us to grow up out of our fantasies of trying to get control over other people or to buoy our sense of self-esteem by putting people down. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we do from a wounded state, but a healthy adult state doesn't require or doesn't have those same needs. So I do think that that's an important distinction. It is, um, you know, as far as leaders concerned, what's interesting is all of this is creating more awareness and more, and they have to live more consciously. And as a result, you really have to understand your impact on other people. And so often leaders, even well-intended leaders, just didn't really understand the impact on their behavior. Now with all the tools we use, the 360s, the culture climates, all of that, people are being held accountable, not just for what they do, but the impact that that has on other people. And I think that's been one of the greatest shifts that we've seen. And I think as leaders, it's important to stay aware of that. And that's
0: that's fine if you have a culture that allows people to recognize that their reactions are choices rather than being some sort of emotional victimhood or victim state. And I think, um, and, you know, we, uh, this is the risk of that approach, isn't it, Uh, you know, Can we really control or really um, have any effect on other people unless that person's chosen to let us have it? I mean, I'm not advocating bullying or, you know, that, but I do think leaders are increasingly disempowered by this and increasingly a legalistic framework, which basically says if someone chooses to take offense, then, you know, you are wrong as a leader. And I sort of I just wonder if we're disempowering ourselves in the in the rush to democratize and to, um, and to flatten the humps in the road, you know, which have stood in the way of, um, I was going to say minorities, but I was going to put women in there. And certainly in this country, there's more women than men, but you know what I mean?
1: Well, I think it's a fine line. It's a fine line when, okay, my impact, I said something and that really offended somebody else. Is it my fault it, it, it offended them? Well, I think there's a level of sensitivity. Was I insensitive in something that I said? Well, in that case you know, I'm not responsible for how they interpret it, but I am responsible for a level of sensitivity and to be aware enough of who they are and what the sensitivities might be. So again, it's a a fine line. And I've heard people say, well, they took it the wrong way. I didn't intend it that way. That can be such an easy scapegoat for one, not being sensitive and two, not being empathetic. If somebody was hurt by it, I think you lean into the empathy, you know, before you try to defend yourself, you certainly want to understand, you know, it wasn't my intention to offend. How did, what was this experience for you? Or I'm sorry, what did that trigger for you? Let them speak, educate yourself that those triggers are out there and simply apologize for the impact that that had. You can apologize for how they felt about it without necessarily agreeing with it. Uh, I don't think you have to take that stance, but you do uh, I think leaning into empathy instead of defending our right to say what we want to say and defending the fact that it's not our responsibility how they think about it is just again kind of another level of irresponsibility. It, or is
0: it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I mean, people undervalue empathy, and it is a it is an absolute learned skill. Um it you know absolutely it's, it's, it's yeah. not something we're necessarily born with. And um, I mean the, the jury's out on that, no one can actually prove that, but um, but it is an absolutely learned skill, and men and women can be as empathetic as each other. And and I think people don't understand that the link between empathy and trust. And most people want trust in their organization. They mm-hmm. and and people sort of can mm-hmm. latch on to trust, but they don't seem to understand that you have to have the empathy to build the trust in the first place
1: right and i think you know a lot of people's go-to is to defend 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 because they don't want to be wrong or um you know they don't want to recognize that they hurt somebody because they they don't have the internal strength to feel the pain of hurting somebody Mm -hmm. so you really have to be have some level of emotional and ego strength in order to have it
0: to be an adult in uh,
1: other words an adult to be able to hold the space for somebody to be able to listen to the acknowledgement of somebody being hurt from something you unintentionally or intentionally did yes. it does take a mature person to be able to handle that
0: okay that's fascinating thank you and uh, fascinating in your views um it's rare I get the chance to talk to another exec coach so it's, uh, thank you that's I've had a lovely time thank you um <laughs> but I know you're not just a, an exec coach you're um an author as well so do you want to talk a bit about that
1: Yes. You know, it, and it's interesting because it's sort of in two different worlds, although they're starting to come together. Mm. Uh, I've written three books. My latest one is a, a memoir called The Messages. And it's very different than how I obviously present as an executive coach because it's the underbelly of my own story. Mm. And I'm, I'm telling that story at this time. It was um, certainly something that happened to me, a journey I took in my early thirties when I had three young children. And I really had to travel through severe uh, abuse in my childhood because it had gotten to a point where I couldn't go to work anymore. I finally had to face what I had become because of what had happened to me yeah. back to those defenses. You know, we have this lovely natural self that comes into the world. And then depending on how we are treated, we make adaptations. And I had made an adaptation away from my natural self that made, you know, brought me great success. I was very driven. I mimicked my father. I uh was all focused on you know gaining success and finding a way that you know I could be successful. And I I was able to navigate through the computer industry and owned a successful um service company that we grew through the state of California. Mm. And then one day I couldn't go to work anymore. Uh, my whole world that I created started to crumble as my, the part of me that was genuinely wanting to express itself in this lifetime began to emerge. Yeah, And, you know, I, that world really dissolved from one experience to the next. And what emerged was a very different aspect of myself that then led me into executive coaching and, and and some of the work I do today. Yes. Uh, it's,
0: that's a very interesting and and use, and a and a regular process. One here is this sort of this bursting, this yeah. you know coping, hanging on, gripping on, then suddenly emerging. It's 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 quite it's quite a bruising yet cathartic process, isn't it? And I think people um, often need that don't they to actually have the evidence in front of them that this change is required I just I just I just wonder whether there's a maturity that comes a little earlier in the process to save all that pain or maybe we need the pain to be able to contrast the um, the state that we're going to achieve as you know post that state
1: you know for me the pain uh, the maturity grew out of the pain Mm. Uh, you know I likened it to the, born I, the, the, the self I was born to be hijacked the one I had created. And through that, I had to go back to the reasons I'd created it in the first place. So those kind of life realizations and uh, are very painful, at least it was certainly for me. And the amount of emotional pain that we can store in our bodies because we're too young to process that needs to go through as well. So it's not only just a shift, but it's a cleansing. It truly is of letting go of things and emotions and feelings and beliefs that you held strong to, to keep your world intact, because we can certainly create a storyline that gets us to a certain point. I mean, that's our survival strategies. And at a certain point, those strategies break down in order for us to be an expanded sense of self. And when that happens, to your point, it becomes very cathartic. It's, you know, it's likened to the hero's journey. You you yes. do leave the world you knew it to enter a world that is quite unfamiliar in order to travel through some very precarious territory to uh, find that part of yourself that you can then come back and bring to the kingdom. Yes. It is, uh, it's very much that same sequence and it has a lot of the same stages, if you will. Yes. And and
0: one might argue is completely natural.
1: Absolutely. I think it is part of the maturation process. Mm. It's I think it just depends on what happens to us in our life, uh, how dramatic some of those can be. I think people can mature in a much more graceful, probably less painful way, uh, if they are given proper nurturance early on. Yeah. And We're all going to have struggles because, again, that's part of the maturation process, but certainly on the hands of others. uh, But going back to the impact others have on us, even though perhaps they didn't intend it to be as dramatic. Ultimately, what happens to us in our life is comes back to our responsibility to heal. Yes. It it is Uh,
0: fascinating how... um one of the trickiest life skills is parenting and actually most parents are hideously unprepared and unskilled
1: yes. and
0: certainly you know if you look at simple attachment theory you know most most parents simply get it wrong i mean i know they have great intentions a bit back to the thing you were saying about <laughs> leaders it, it great intentions with zero competence and you know what you end up with is um, you know a generational shift towards people who are yeah best resilient or what, so whatever true. it might be. It's-
1: Good intention, but zero competence. Yeah, you know, so many of our parents suffered from that. Yeah, and you know, I, I I have great hope in the generations coming because I think there is so much more awareness of impact, and we are now aware of, you know, through psychology, attachment theory, and the different ways that we really impact our children. Yeah. Uh, I still think it's vastly uh, undereducated, particularly in our uh, schools. Because, you know, everybody goes through school, most likely is going to become a parent. Yet we just don't have enough of those skills embedded in our school system, which is unfortunate, because when you think about the impact those children are going to have on the next generation, what could be more important? And yet it's interesting as well, isn't it? It's a bit like
0: organizational change and organizational growth. We have this we have this outsourcing of social skills to a school which is an, an arguably a really terrible place to, to learn the dry theory of it and you know you know a thousand two thousand five thousand ten thousand years ago depending on your beliefs and such like we all sat around the fire we had village elders we had people who were wise they had gone through they'd done that cathartic process they'd you know they they'd seen many summers they'd seen many children and they sort of you know they figured it out by the time they were you know that sort of age and I just wonder whether we've sort of we've lost that natural rhythm of parenting. I mean, partly it's because we're a, a specific, you know, culture and society, but and I work in uh, other countries and you still see that in certain parts of Africa and you see much more, I am mean, not, not a nirvana, it's not a, you know, a perfect answer, but you do see, you, you see problems, but you don't see these problems, you see different problems. And it just, and it just strikes me that we sort of lost something in the way we've outsourced so much of our...
1: Yeah, I caring mean, I to, caring to third that. parties. Yeah. yeah, because I think when you come from more cohesive mm. cultures and more cohesive, envi- like a tribe, more cohesive, uh, you you do have the elders, and you do have a sense of tight community in which children can raise and be reflected, and have you know different people um, see different things, different positive things. Uh, The key, of course, is protecting the psychological safety of that child so that they can grow to know who they are. And those reflections can be reflections of the good inside of them. But
0: but psychological safety doesn't mean coddling people. What it means is building resilience, learning the school the schools the the, the toolkits, learning the the ability to get things wrong, put things right, take your point to earlier, which is about learning accountability and such like what we what we mustn't do is remove people from actually real life and um and and the reason i like the word use tribes because of course it's how we often describe organizations don't you the old idea of the leader with 100 people you know that is a tribe and that was a sort of a unit of organizational design at one point so it's interesting whether we in organizations value the wisdom of the elders and such like you know do we have good mentoring programs do we have that way of you know passing down corporate history, but still having that lovely challenge of someone poking fun at the old person at top who did it this way 73 years ago. Because you need that lovely dynamic, don't you? You need that integration of different, you know, of diversity to make these things really come to life in an adult culture, I suppose.
1: Right. Well, I I think the millennials have done a, it's been an interesting energetic shift within corporate America because they have really pushed up against the grain and where the pushing down has been, they don't really know when to to uh, come in, to get in alignment necessarily, uh, but the pushing up has their irreverence towards certain things, has challenged the status quo. And we haven't been able to sit back and say, well, it's because this is the way it's always been done. Mm-hmm. That's not a good enough answer no. for uh, most people under the age of 40. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I like the way that they have pushed up against the, Norm, because I think a lot of what is happening in corporate America, sort of the uh deconstruction of that old system, that hierarchical system is a result of the millennials. And uh as much as people have found it irritating to manage them, I'm I have sort of been in their corner saying, you know, push up. Just,
0: they're just people. And we, yeah. we, we can't sit in organisations and say, we want our people to be our greatest assets and then say, but we don't like millennials because they're difficult. The point yeah. the point is actually, it's about escalation and having those challenging conversations and having that robust debate and having that sense of rejuvenation. Joan, I'm very conscious that I'm just indulging my own personal interest here. And this must be um, very frustrating for everyone listening. So I'm having a lovely time. But um, no, how, I'm, how I'm- How
1: can people
0: people find out more about your work, your books? uh, How can they uh, get in touch with you? Uh,
1: My website, dawnkohler.com. That's D-A-W-N-K-O-H-L-E-R.com. My most recent book is called The Messages, a memoir. Again, it's a personal story, but it leads to a very inspirational message that uh, I I think all of us really uh, need to hear right now.
0: And you're being um, very humble about your other work, which has won all sorts of prizes and such like. So the invitation we came with Emma seems to be something worth mentoring as well. But I think all the plaudits have been plaudited. So it's it's time for the new one. Look, it's been a joy to talk to you today. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy in your company. And thank you for spending time. And I just personally thank you again for being so flexible at the beginning of this. People don't know that. Dawn was very generous with her time to be able to move this around, so. Thank you. I enjoyed the conversation as well. Great. Well, thank you for spending time with us today and uh, you take care. You too. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links, and you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools, and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.